there, baseball fans. Back with another edition of the Prep Baseball Report of North Carolina Podcast. I'm Brandon Hall. He's Matt Payne. Uh, here to talk about high school baseball across the Carolinas. Matt, how we doing? Doing good. Happy to be back on, getting to see some baseball, so it's good. We've had a ton of coverage. I know uh, you've been out, I've been out, some of our other uh, associate scouts have been out, you know, covering all the way from uh, some stuff in Greenville, out towards Wilmington, all the way to Asheville. Um, lots of game coverage, obviously, inside the boxes. We're di- diving into 60 to 70 games a, a day um, in that inside the box. So we're still behind the computer a little bit, but it's been nice to be at the yard too some. Absolutely. Best place you've been so far? Any 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 uh, concession stands standing out for you? Uh, I didn't eat anything last night, but the food at East Rowan smelled really good. Uh, <laughs> I kept there was a long line, so obviously the people there liked something. Something was so, good. I've been good yeah. so far. I usually I'm a sucker for popcorn, and usually when I got to make a drive later that night, I'll do I'll do some caffeine or something, but. So far, I think I've been pretty good. I'm trying to think back to the games I've been to. And obviously, we want to support the high schools and support their their concession stands and the people that are working. But, you know, if I if I eat everywhere we go, I, you know, I'll, I'll pack on another 30, 40 pounds during the spring. God knows I don't need to do that. <laughs> you got to enjoy it sometime, though. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually excited tonight. Um, I'm going to get to see my alma mater play against the school I coached at the longest. Two jerseys I got up above me. I don't know if they get cut off when we do the split screen, but uh, Charlotte is hosting Wilmington tonight in Kannapolis. I saw Queens hosted East Carolina last night in Kannapolis. East Carolina wore those powdered purples, which I, that was, it was an interesting look. Um, Different. Queens apparently played their tails off, but you know, East Carolina took it in extras. Would you see the purple? I saw the purple with the game I was at. We were actually joking if uh, if East Carolina lost, we probably wouldn't see those again. But uh, yeah, no, that's uh, yeah. But we we had a uniform like that at Wilmington. Uh, I'm sorry, at Charlotte. It was a white uniform with black sleeves, so it looked like a vest, but it was actually a one piece. And then in gold, kind of in an arcing, it said Niners, but they were in bubble letters. And our, our head coach at the time he called them the clown uniform. So he hated them. And it's, you know, we won the first game we wore them. They were like a, uh, it it wasn't our traditional Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. It was like special occasion uniforms. But as soon as we lost a game, he got those out of rotation as quickly as possible. Um, I can't remember the, I'm not going to put the company on blast that did them, but they, they were not a favorite of his. Now our, our kids loved them, but they just did. They was a bad look with that bubble lettering. I did like the, uh, what East Carolina wore to the honor Keith LeClaire this weekend at the Keith yep. LeClaire Classic. I thought those looked really well, and they had the 23 on the hat. So that was a good look. So that brings back my days when I was at Wilmington playing and coaching, and we're battling them for the Colonial Athletic Association. We went in one of those years. We went to East Carolina. We needed to win one of three to win our first ever Colonial Championship, um, and we got swept, and we got blown out on Sunday on national TV. And that's the jersey they were wearing. So it, that, that jersey brings back nightmares for me. But, you know, I love that Cliff and those guys have continued to honor Coach LeClaire, um, that community, his family. Um, and, of course, you know, some of those guys you probably played with, with, with Schnabel and Bockage, uh down at Clemson. Uh, uh, Bryant Ward, who played on that club, is at UCLA. Obviously, Cliff's at, at East Carolina. You know, so that, that not only were those good teams – 
but you had a lot of guys that were really invested in the game and just loved being around the game so much they've stayed in it as part of their careers. Yeah, he's got he's got quite the coaching tree. Those guys that yeah. are tied to Leclerc one way or another, and uh, yeah. they have done a great job keeping keeping his name going and, and what he done at that program. I saw I saw Coach Leggett, who's Coach Leclerc, is underneath that kind of Coach Leggett tree from the Western Carolina connection. But Coach Leggett's back in the dugout, um, which I didn't know. And then I saw him, you know, during the South Carolina Clemson series on Saturday and Sunday. I was able to watch a little bit of those games, and um, it, it, that's a little different because obviously he's having to take a step back. He's not the head coach and not in charge. So I always wonder what's going through those guys' mind, and you know, how much is he trying to, you know, hey, hey Coach Bockage, what about this, this, and this? Hey, what do we want to do here? What do we do? Versus just okay, Eric's got it. I'm just going to let him coach. And it's just eating at him inside, but you know, knowing that Eric's probably doing ninety percent of the things Coach Leggett would be doing anyways. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, I'm sure he he likes being back in uniform, and uh, it's it's crazy how big that series is in South Carolina. You know, you flip it on and watch it, and it's no matter where they're playing at, it's packed. The fans are into it, and uh, it's fun to watch each year. They've done a really good job with it, and and I think it's harder in this state, obviously, because you've got you know, shoot, Wake Forest ranked number two in the country right now. Um, you know, State and Chapel Hill are kind of the traditional clubs that have had success, have been to Omaha, have been on the national radar, you know, maybe the longest. Duke all of a sudden has emerged as a, as a perennial championship-type team and a chance to make runs and host regionals and things of that sort. But then outside of that pack and those power five, you, you have power majors. You know, you have East Carolina who's – uh, I think they have the, the most number of regionals without making it to Omaha. And, and they're knocking on that door and knocking on that door and knocking on that door. It's eventually feel like they're going to knock it down. Um, you know, clubs like Wilmington and Charlotte, um, and I'm leaving a lot of clubs out that obviously aspire to be in Omaha, but clubs that have kind of been uh, on the brink seasons here, seasons there, getting the right regional. I don't know how it would work in North Carolina to make something like that happen, but I think a, a rivalry series like that um, where they did travel across the state, you played in all third, uh, each third of the state over the weekend would be cool. Um, who, who do you think? Would it have to be state in, in Chapel Hill? I, I think they hold the record for the largest attendance of a game in North Carolina uh, the year they played in the ACC tournament. And, you know, yeah. they played forever. Uh, but, you know, you talk about that, but when – you know, state goes to Wilmington midweek. There's a big crowd there. Yeah. You know, East Carolina plays. It seems like, you know, they all draw pretty well. It's just not the one featured weekend of the year like they do down there. But, you know, you can roll into East Carolina on a Wednesday night and it'll be packed. Or, you know, when Wilmington goes to state, they, they all draw pretty well and create a good atmosphere. We we were in a conference with Tulane when Tulane, and they're, they're not very good right now. But when they were in the top, they were ranked number one in the country for a couple of years. They had those couple runs to Omaha. Um, and Coach Jones, who's actually from, he, he was at Elon. He's an alum of Elon. Um, was from the Wilmington area. I think he's living in the Wilmington area now. But he was the head coach at Tulane. Um, and he would come in. And they were we were talking about things like this, you know, trying to develop those rivalries, trying to develop, you know, atmospheres where we can draw, we can all make money, we can grow the game. And he talked about, hey, they're ranked number one in the country and, and LSU, they finally kind of got LSU. They did kind of a two for one, you know, we'd play twice at LSU, once at Tulane, twice at LSU. And then they would play once in new Orleans at the Zephyrs place. Um, and, and the joke was when it Tulane started to kind of get it going a little bit, 
It was kind of, you know, running off the rivalry and was winning some games now. You know, Skip Burtman came across and did the handshake and, and looked at Coach Jones and said, man, you guys got it going. Really packed this stadium out and, you know, it's a great turnout. You ranked highly. I mean, I'm just so proud of you guys. You kind of turned to the crowd. Look around and goes, a lot of purple in the stands still, though. A lot of purple. <laughs> you have to talk about that. And, you know, and then there was later on, there was a, a financial deal done so that LSU was being compensated. Their staff was being compensated. And I don't know who all was getting paid. People were being paid for LSU to continue those trips where Tulane would make all that money being at the Zephyr Stadium. Um, you know, so there's still, you know, the bigger schools are still going to put their thumb on some of the smaller schools at times. Um, did you guys ever play when you were at state? Did you guys ever go to any of those uh, weekends like the Shriners Classic, like the Minnesota uh, Classic? They had this past, it used to be called the Dairy Queen Classic. I don't know what they call it now. Uh, did you guys ever get a chance to play any of those? No, we played. Uh, we played in the Keith Leclerc one year, and then uh, we would always go to Coastal or, yep. or uh, you know, somewhere like our Charleston and do one of the the early season deals there, where you would. You would play them, and then you'd catch a school from the north and play them. But we never got to go to, never got to go to Hawaii, and you know some of these other trips people get to make, or the the, the couple in Texas. So, wish we would I have. Lived, they look exciting. I, I lived in New Orleans for three years when I was in Ella, elementary school, and we lived right across the bridge from New Orleans in a town called Mandeville. But I can, we could get to the Superdome in about thirty minutes. I say the bridge; it's the I think it's the world's largest bridge at the time. It's like 36 miles long. But we could get to the Superdome in about 30, 45 minutes. Um, and the Superdome hosted, they called it State Classics or something like that, but it would be LSU, Tulane, and New Orleans. And they would play three schools from another state. So the two years I was there, they did Texas and they did California. So it was UCLA, USC, and Cal. It was Texas, Texas A&M, and maybe Texas Tech. I can't remember who the third one was. <clears throat> but they had running scoreboards throughout the stadium. So you actually had the individual game. You know, in, in the Louisiana schools, all three days played against the, the Texas schools. And then so the first scoreboard was games won, Louisiana versus Texas. And then the second scoreboard would be runs scored, a, you know, Louisiana versus Texas. So – even in some blowouts, even in some games on Sunday where, where it kind of got out of hand, you still had some interest and in things going on. But I can remember that Superdome obviously wasn't full. That place seats 60,000, 80,000 people. But you had really good crowds. It was really good baseball. It was a neat atmosphere. And that was before, you know, college baseball had really kind of taken that next step because um, I'm, I'm, I'm older than you, obviously. And, um, yeah, predate some of even Omaha – when it was just the the CBS had the College World Series championship game on. That was the only game that was on. This wasn't about that time, but that kind of growth. And I've always thought in North Carolina they could pull something like that off if we had a field. Yeah, I think you have to have turf just in case there's mm-hmm. some some weather. But <clears throat> I think it'd be interesting to see if if you you're, you're talking about getting a lot of people on the same same page to do that though. Yeah, it, it would take a lot of people working their schedules and you know. You know how scheduling is with the RPI. They, they, you know, there's some strategy into how these teams schedule and and all that to get into the postseason. Well, there's home games too. I mean, there's there's salaries built into attendance. There's there's a, a lot of coaches now, based on season ticket sales, based on attendance, based on number of home games. 
it can bump bump salaries, um, whether it be for the head coach or for the staff. And so making sure you get, you know, 30, 36 home games or 33 home games or 27 home games, that's a significant deal when you start talking about being able to have, you know, five, six, seven thousand people paying to come through the gate, you know, and I'm, I'm taking 11 games or even just three games and moving them off campus. There's some compensation, you know, somewhere the school and the staff's going to want. So that's good. It's gotten to that point where it is a business. It's good it's got, that we've gotten to that point. It's just now how can we continue to grow it? Yeah, I know the players like playing in those environments too. You roll in and, you know, there's 5,000 people there. You go on the road and there's people, you know, wearing you out from the stands. It, uh, you know, makes it fun for the kids. No doubt. Well, let's go ahead and roll into I know one of the things that we got posted yesterday on the website is something that was near and dear to my heart because I actually ran that show for, <clears throat> excuse me, about two years. Um, it's Recruiting Essentials. And it's basically – designed to be articles by former recruiting coordinators, former college coaches, and, and kind of walking prospects and their parents through the recruiting world. Um, I wrote wrote on that for two to three years. There's you know, 30, 40, 60 articles that I wrote that are there. And basically what we've done as a, as a staff at PBR is we've gotten about five or six of us that have that same background, and we're revamping those articles, making sure they're current, making sure they're up to date with the rules, um, and kind of re-releasing the information. So the first ones came out on Tuesday, and, and Matt, it talked a lot about this one was just introductions to coaches, uh, phone call etiquette, email etiquette, um, you know, those early conversations. Um, do you remember being a player and, and having some of those early conversations with coaches? And probably for you, it was probably about your junior year because the recruiting world was a little slower back then. Um, but phone calls and then, you know, Email was texting big. Do you remember any of that going through it? Going through it, you, they couldn't reach out to you until uh, I think it was July one, the summer before your senior year, and right. you know you kind of had that date marked and hope people would call. Uh, you know there was email involved, but you know texting wasn't as big then. Uh, you look forward to those phone calls, and I think as a as a young kid, it's uh, it can be nerve wracking or different when you get on the phone with with people you've, you know, you've seen on TV or heard about that have, you know, kind of a presence to them of, of that first phone call and, and how to handle yourself and communicate. I still remember my first phone call, not because of the phone call itself, but because of the reaction of my family afterwards. Um, you know, back in my day, we, way back when we had house phones. And so coach peoples at Methodist university um, was their pitching coach recruiting coordinator. He called me, called me on my house phone. You know, I, picked it up on the end table and it had that big cord and I wrapped that big cord around the wall and I went up the stairs as far as it would go. So I had a little bit of privacy. And then I proceeded for about seven minutes to say, yeah, uh-huh, <laughs> uh-huh, yeah, yeah. And I got off the phone and my mom was like, what in the world was that? And so I was talking to Coach Peoples at Methodist. That's, you know, pretty cool. And first phone call, she goes, no, that, that, you were, that was awful. Why, why were you like that on the phone? We don't, you don't talk like that, but I didn't do a ton of phone calls. I, I, I never talked to anybody on the phone and I know players are like that today because of texting and, you know, different ways they communicate even through, you know, TikTok or, or Instagram. They're not, they're not picking up the phone and just calling their buddy and saying, Hey, what are you getting into? You know, it's different forms of communication. So those phone calls can be a little daunting, you know, from a coach's side, you know, <laughs> 
what what's your reaction when you get that all time worst phone call that I was on my first phone call? <laughs> it's it's difficult, you know. You, you just want to tell the kid like, hey man, just just be yourself. Talk to me like you talk to your buddies, and um, and I know that's difficult to do, but it gives the coaches a a much better idea of who you are, and it makes the the phone call a lot easier for them as well. Well, and when we go through the recruiting process, let's say, you know, some of the coaches that are contacting us, you know, weekly as we get through the summer may send us a list in North Carolina and say, hey, hey, Matt, I need these 12 guys to call me. Can you set them up on Tuesday night starting at 530 every 15 minutes? And, yeah, we'll start shooting that stuff out because they're, they're younger players maybe that they're not allowed to contact yet. And so they'll go through us. That 12, you'll, we'll watch that thing whittle down to about three pretty quickly. And I think mm-hmm. sometimes it's just because the phone, the conversations are so bad um, and, and players don't have polish on the phone. And if I'm a coach and I have limited time and I have limited resources, you know, uh, and I've got a long list to get through, I may start trying to whittle that thing down based on who I want to talk to, especially now. I'm not getting rid of the one that's throwing 93 and can't talk. But if I got <laughs> five, six guys that throw 86 to 88 that can't talk, you know, I may get that thing down to two or three of those guys. Uh, we're not going to get rid of talent because of it, but I, it's one way to separate yourself from guys that are very similar. If you're a prospect, is how you handle yourself in those situations. I thought from, some of the the best conversations too were when you could talk to kids about things other than baseball, when you could kind of get into their life a little bit of do they hunt, do they fish, you know. What do they play other sports? What do they like to do? And you know that makes those those phone calls flow a lot e- a lot a lot easier. And that's that's the job of the recruiter. At some point, we've got to we've got to help the prospect along, you know. But the the more polished the prospect is, we may get into those conversations a little bit more naturally, instead of as the recruiter forcing some areas. That let's find areas where he he is he can talk. Um, and again. Typically, by the time you've talked to a player a second or a third time, they're much more relaxed. They're much better on the phone. But that first impression, you know, can make a difference in terms of separating yourself from players that have, uh, you know, similar backgrounds, similar skill sets, similar similar tools. Did you do a lot of texting with players as you were as you were getting out of coaching? Because I know the NCAA rules started to relax a little bit there and went from that July one date back to, you know, what was it September one of their junior year. So you got a little bit longer process. Obviously, kids were committing earlier. They were trying to give us coaches a chance to communicate with players earlier instead of just making offers. Yeah, I, li- I like the texting part part of it, especially like if I hey, if I needed to know when you were throwing or you know what was going on. It was it was easier than setting up the hey, call me at eight o'clock or however they had to do. And I think you know today's generation of, of kids like the the texting better. That's how they communicate with their friends or you know through the social media to shoot them a text and, and they'll get back to you. And, you know, we even do that now, you know, with needing to see a kid or wanting to know when they're throwing, just shoot them a text and, you know, they're good about getting back to us. And, and what the Recruiting Essential articles do, and they're on the on the website now at PBR, it, it really kind of dives into do's and don'ts, you know, and it's, we don't want it so structured of this is, you, you have to be very business-like on text. Texts aren't designed to be business letters. But I don't know that if I'm a recruit, and you're you're my coach that I'm going to send you a bunch of emojis the very first time we're texting <laughs> or I'm going to shorthand everything or I'm not, I'm going to spell words wrong. 
you know, I, you do work for a, 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 an institution of higher education. So using punctuation may be a good idea. When the coach starts texting back and maybe they're using shorthand, you get a little bit better feel for, okay, with well, this guy I can do this. And, and you can kind of match what they're doing. But, you know, and I think that's where those articles are really good. It gives some examples and, um, you know, dives into the emails as well. And uh, was email the most popular way that you kind of heard from players early on? Was that the, 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 the vast majority of players contacting you? Was it through email? Definitely through email. Uh, How did you guys have it set up? Did you as a recruiting coordinator read those or did they just simply get passed down the line to somebody? If it was, if it was clear that the kid had wrote it directly to me and the school I was at, and it wasn't from a recruiting service or, you know, copied the 50 schools, then I would respond myself. If it was the others, it was going to the camp folder and I wasn't dealing with it. Yeah. So we, we had a system set up where every email that we got that was unsolicited, uh, meaning they, they were out of the blue contacting us. Those immediately went to our secretary, but there were emails that I read and there would be, and we could go ahead and start putting grades on guys too. Hey, he's a follow. He's a non-follow. He's a camper. Um, he's just, he's just a mail list, mailing list guy. You know, if, if I got an email that was just straight from a recruiting service and it was just your, your bio and your form that went to our secretary camp, he's just going to get camp info. If I got one, like you're saying was addressed to me, was personalized in terms of they had done some research on our school, knew what was going on with our roster schedule there was some pertinent information in there, that player instantly became some sort of recruitable athlete. Now, it wasn't necessarily high where I'm going to get on the, in the car and go see him right then, but I sent that letter to our secretary. She had instructions to send information back to get a questionnaire and then also to as quickly as we could get information on somebody we can call, high school coach, club team coach, somebody that knew him that we knew where I could get information and then we can dictate, okay, how, do I really need to pay attention to the video we're going to get or is he a non-player? And then we can, we can dictate that. But again, the more personalized it was, the better. I, I do have the, the, the this will get you strict taken off the list very quickly. And it's my favorite example. I had one sent to me. It was a really well done email. Dear coach hall, congratulations on the start to your year. You guys are off to a 10 and two start ranked just outside the top 25 love what you guys are doing with your pitching staff. It looks like your top three guys are all throwing the ball extremely well back into the bullpen. I mean, he's coming. I mean, it's, it's, he's done some looks. Um, then he explains to you, here's who I am. Here's where I'm going to be. Would love for you to come see me. The, the bottom of it was something to the effect of, I've always been an admirer of Charlotte. It's been a cl- program I've always closely followed, which the entire email kind of tells you. I would love to play there. It's my first choice. I look forward to hearing back from you. All great. His email address, carolinalover69 at blah, 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 blah. That's not, <laughs> the, exact, that's not the exact one. It, it, was, it was close to that. The number was right. And then the school's different. Um, but it get, gives you an idea. And I was like, no. I, you know, It's a great email. He's obviously been coached very well in email. 
but you need to be aware of what your email tells people too. And just the yep. address gives, gives coaches information. Yeah. For when you can see, uh, you know, all the other schools tagged on the email or whatever, and you know, Hey, it went to everybody. So we'll send him a camp invite. That, that, that was exactly. Yeah. And especially as, as good as people have gotten with mail merge, you know, if you've got Gmail, there's, there's apps out there that will allow you to merge information. So you can write one email and it can merge information in for every single school and send a, each email out individually. So it looks like you personalized all 126 emails you sent. There's no reason that I, I should ever get an email that's got 50 other schools copied on it. So yeah. I, all good points. All things will be brought up on Recruiting Essentials. It's a great, great series of articles, obviously close to my heart. It's on PBR now, um, prepbaseballreport.com. Under the news section, there's also a Recruiting Essentials tab up there, I think. Um, baseball started. We're, we're rolling here in North Carolina, first full week of action. Um, and we, we announced our players of the week uh, yesterday as we're filming this. So on Tuesday, <clears throat> later today, Wednesday, we're going to post um, our diamond notes on, you know, players that had really, really big first weeks. Matt, tell us a little bit about our player and pitcher of the week. Pitcher of the week, Truett Manuel from West Henderson. Uh, you know, they won an 11-inning game. He actually threw, I think it was seven innings in relief, punched out 11. Yep. Or, uh, I'm sorry, punched out 17. Yep. And uh, also also had the game-winning hit. So, uh, he, he did it all for them that night. And, um, you know, he's he's been doing well in high school ball, NC State commit. Uh, look forward to seeing him this year. And then, uh, guy we know well, Harrison Lewis, uh, pitched well. I think he hit three home runs. It's a – Pretty good way to start your high school season. Yeah, five forty-five for the week. Slugged fifteen forty-five. Yeah, that's a really good week, especially you know for a guy that's transitioned a little bit more into a pitcher over hitter. Obviously, at this level, you know his strength plays. Um, you know when he came to us with us to future games a couple of years ago, he was a, a, a pitcher DH type guy. Uh, we let swing it, and the, the powers obviously it's 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 really impressive. It's just a matter of is he going to be on the barrel enough to make that happen? And is it going to affect what he does pitching wise? So I, I think he's kind of putting himself in a position where, you know, Chapel Hill may let him take BP when he gets there. Obviously the, the high end is, is on the bump I and mean, he's, he's got a chance to be uh, uh, an elite bullpen type arm for them pretty quickly, just with the pure power arm. Um, you know, we'll kind of see what happens there and, you know, true it. You know, it's, it's West Henderson's one of those clubs that we could get into the playoffs and we, we could see a very, very highly seeded team get matched up early on with Truett and there'd be in a lot of trouble. Um, you know, he's not just putting up numbers. He's been winning for a couple of years now and he's got some polish to what he's doing. So uh, really intrigued to continue to follow his spring, but a massive start, you know, enters in the fifth, completes the game, 73% strikes, punches 17 and obviously Really good athlete. I think he plays football as well. Um, Basketball you know, too, yeah. Does he? Does, yeah, yeah, does it all. So he's just out of the gym, and you know, uh, I'm sure those guys were careful with pitch counts and building him up. But he was, you know, 17 strikeouts, seven innings was still well under 100 pitches. So you know, congrats to those two guys. Those stories are up on the on the website. Diamond notes will be up uh, on Wednesday. If you're watching this on Thursday or later. You can go back to Diamond Notes. We'll have at least 30, 30 players, maybe closer to 50 players from across the state 
who were considered for our players of the week, uh, guys that had good weeks, some stats to go along with them, um, guys that you can kind of continue to track and follow. And that's one of the one of those the diamond notes is kind of one of those stories, Matt, that we publish each week. We always get a lot of contact back from college coaches um, as they're kind of diving in to see who's playing well. And you know, if a name shows up for two to three weeks, we're going to get a phone call on that guy. Yeah, it's it's good. It helps us follow those guys a ton. And one thing, you know, talking about Harrison Lewis is those guys that pitch and hit, uh, seeing if they hit the night they pitch too. Uh, you know, I know doing both in high school, it seemed like I struggled a lot hitting on nights I pitched. So that's that's always interesting for me to see. Yeah, I did too. But a lot of that's because I couldn't hit. So <laughs> <laughs> there, were, there were struggles on other nights as well. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, we're into week two now. You and I have both been on the road. Let's talk a little bit about what we've seen. Um, and one of the things that we do daily, obviously, we dive into box scores. Um, we also will have anytime any of our scouts are out of the game, they'll do a brief game write up, give us some stats in the game, and then do a scout blog on two to seven to eight players from that game, just giving us some general direction on these are some guys to follow. This is what he did. You know, obviously in game settings, it's easy to get pitchers. Um, sometimes hitters, you just they, they walk three times. There's not a whole lot to write up on them. But those scout blogs give us information. Already those are getting a ton of hits as we post those. Um, and then we'll refurbish those scout blogs from those games into kind of repackaged scout blogs talking about it, you know, whether it's uncommitted underclassmen or MLB draft follows or whatever. Those are starting to populate now as well. You know, Matt, give me give me a couple guys from your scout blogs that, that have been really intriguing so far this spring. Uh, I got to see Pro 5 over the weekend play, uh, you know, Gaston College, who's, you know, top 10 in our JUCO rankings. And uh, it was good to see some of their hitters match up against the arms that Gaston has. And I uh, got to see Gavin Gallagher and Macon Winslow and uh, Jason Mack, UNC Wilmington commit, hit a home run that day. And, um, you know, talking about getting hitters for Gaston, uh, Trey Truitt, you know, he, he homers in his first at bat. And, uh, you know, I try to get some video on him. He's been having a good year. And then he walks like four straight at bats. So, <laughs> you know, missed that. But, uh, you know, thought thought Macon looked good in the box. Obviously, he's he's a really good receiver, catch, throw guy. Um, uh, Gavin, I love watching him play shortstop. But uh, it was good to get in and, and see those guys early. And I, I know we'll see him a lot more throughout the year. I know you you haven't seen Luke Stevenson live. I'm, I'm sure you've seen some of the video from Super 60 and things like that. Um, compare and contrast, you know, Luke and Macon a little bit. What, what did you see out of Macon? Um, you know, and obviously Luke's off to a good start. He had a, a two a two home run game earlier this week. You know, leading Wake Forest and has been really good behind the plate from what we've heard. But compare compare contrast, kind of those two guys as as MLB scouts are trying to be deciding, you know, who's the top catcher in the state and, and you know. Where do they go in the draft? Uh, for me, I think I think Macon's a little more athletic behind the plate. Um, he just looks very comfortable back there, uh, moves the block with some ease. Um, got good carry. He's accurate to second base. Uh, right-hand hitter, I thought uh, he doubled down the left field line, turned on a, a fastball inside. Um, he did a good job in some, in some at-bats, you know, going deep in the count, fouling off pitches. Uh, Stevenson, I love the left-handed bat, um, maybe more pop for Stevenson right now. And, you know, we know the value of, of left-handed hitting catchers, but, uh, I could see a lot of people really being split on that if they had to pick yep. one, 
you know, as we get into the year. And the other interesting part, whichever camp you're in, we talked to guys that coach both guys. We've talked to guys that have played with both guys. We've talked to pitchers that have thrown to both guys. And everybody raves about their ability to, to catch. And I think a lot of that is they both want to catch. You know, and you don't see that all the time, even with guys that are really good catchers, you know, taking that beating, taking that abuse, really working with pitchers, really understanding the craft of, you know, how to set hitters up and put them away and how to how to frame and receive and how to get a pitcher tunneled into where you want him to be. And those two guys, from everything we've heard about them, is they take a lot of pride in making the guy on the bump better. And I, I think sometimes that's a separator. You know, you're, you're trying to figure out, okay, it's, it's a bat. He does, he has gear and he throws balls down to second, but is he really a catcher? I think one of the issues with these two guys trying to trying to figure out how you put one ahead of the other is they both want to catch and they're both really active back there in terms of trying to make their teams better. And so it's going to come down to, you know, I think, you know, which bat do you like better? I think Macon's probably a little bit more of a pure thrower, but – Luke does such a good job of being accurate with good pop times in games that, you know, it, 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 he, he covers that. He, it's not something Luke's running away with. You know, Luke's a left-handed bat um, and Macon's right-handed. You know, that's something that's a, a big difference. But when you're actually trying to see how are they going to progress through the minors and where's that future got a chance to be, you actually have to look and put a grade on the hitter. And I think that's where you're going to start seeing scouts, you know, you know, who's going to make the money this year. Somebody's going to put the right guy in the right order and have a chance to draft them. Um, and then both guys may end up at school. You know, they're both committed to really good schools here in state and chances to play at a high level in those programs and redo this draft process again in three years. So, you know, high, high risk, high reward type guys because they are high school guys. Yeah. And I think, you know, if they go to school, they have a chance to make an impact right away. And, uh, you know, we see, we do so many workouts and you see catchers that, you know, throw really well in a workout, but, you know, you watch them receive and it's kind of iffy, you know, those guys, what they do in a workout translates to a game very well. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Where, where else have you been? Give me, give me the, the you, you talked a little bit about getting to East Rowan last night. I know the game got out of hand, but you saw some high level prospects with, I think North Davidson was visiting. Yeah. North Davidson was at uh East Rowan. I uh, got to see Chance Mako. Um, Athletic, lanky, righty. Um, got some 93s early. Um, he pitched four innings. Uh, still got 92 in the in the fourth. Um, he was in the zone last night. I know some previous box scores we had seen. You know, he he'd had some walks. He didn't walk a guy last night. Um, breaking ball was good. Uh, late, sharp, landed it for strikes at times, and uh, he just he does it with ease. And he looked really comfortable last night. And um, interested to to follow his his progress throughout the season. He He's going to be an interesting compare and contrast guy because it is so athletic. It is a long rangey body. It'll be interesting to see how kind of guys figure out, are they really going to be able to put on weight? And it's the shooter hunt mass equals gas. He's going to put on some weight, but you know, that type of really thin build, we don't see it necessarily come quickly. Um, and, and, and some of those guys really struggle to put weight on. Now, some of those guys get to the big leagues and thrive, um, and, and, and don't break down, but the stuff has to continue to climb. And it's, you know, 92, 93 right now, it's a 50 fastball. The projection, you know, you know, are you going to put a 60 on it? Are you going to put a 70 on it? You know, where does it have a chance to get to the breaking ball? You know, I know we talked about it a little bit pre-broadcast, but 
you know, it's going to be at least a 50 breaking ball in, in projection and maybe a little bit better. Command's got a chance to be at a high level as well, just because he's a good athlete. You contrast that with a guy in the 25 class that I saw last uh, on Monday night with Sam Cozart. And, and Sam's a little bit more of a um, bulldog build, strong, powerful. He's thinned out a little bit from last year, but still the broad shoulders. Um, he's going to put on some weight, but it's not the athletic, clean, quick, whippy arm. It's a little bit more of a, a scap retraction, you know, and overpowering the baseball kind of through through the arm action and through the release. You know, and he pitched, he, he played catch. Let me put it this way. He played catch 87 and 91. And then as he got going, he felt pretty good. He just would go get twos and threes just because he could. And in the last inning, he went and got a four again because he could, you know. So I think the threes and fours will be there anytime he wants to go get them. He just has that ability to pitch and create some action on the ball, arm side action, you know, in that 90-91 range. But when you look at those two guys, again, you know, Chance is a guy they got to see this year. Sam's a guy they'll have to see in a couple years. Um, you know, and, and Tyler Baird probably will compare a little bit more with Chance in, the, in that couple years. But it's that athletic and that fluidness versus strength and power. And there's guys that have made livings at the big league. You know, I would say – Roger Clemens, the arm action's a little cleaner than, than what Sam's is right now, but it, it, that he was a power bulldog overpowering the, the ball through his arm action more so than it was just whippy. Um, you know, so both types of guys can, can make a really good living and get to a really high level. It's just how do you compare and contrast when you're putting those grades on guys? So and I, with all these guys, we've got full write-ups on those scout blogs. So anytime you see a game report go up, you can find these scout blogs. Most of the scout blogs on most of the players will have some sort of video with them. So you get a chance to kind of see and, and go through with us and see what we're seeing. Um, and then, Matt, one of the things that we're going to try to do starting next week, so gonna, people are going to start seeing it this Monday, is is seeing uh, Game of the Week action. Um, and what we would like to do is give the fans and give the viewers and give the ba- baseball um, people of North Carolina a chance to kind of pick some of the games that we're going to go to. Um, and so we'll set up some voting um, through Instagram and through Twitter on Mondays and Tuesdays, and then they'll send us out on Fridays. Uh, any worries or concerns as somebody else is picking the games to go to? Uh, can we write in a weather policy? Uh, <laughs> if if uh, the temperature is a certain degree or the, the wind's too high that we can get out of it maybe this time of year? Uh, but uh, it, that, you know, it's it's exciting going places and, and seeing different high schools, and you know, I know we both enjoy it. Yeah, I'm trying to think. There's, you know, I, I've been I've been doing it in this state now since '99, so I'm on 23, 24 years, and and I'm trying to think. There's only a handful of schools I haven't been to that didn't just open. But inevitably, I'll go somewhere where I've been before and they've redone everything around it. And you see these coaches and how hard they're working to get their fields ready to go in February. February is a hard, a hard month to get grass and dirt ready. But they do a tremendous job and they're cleaning up the fan experience for their parents. And, um, you know, so I always, I always love going into these places. And then, you know, inevitably, you'll run into a park, too, that has a unique concessions. Uh, I think. Providence and Myers Park have started doing food trucks here in the Charlotte area. You're going to see more of that. 
you know, you'll have grills out and, and every, every now and then you'll run into one of these places that'll have a grill master and they'll have some, <laughs> some good stuff on those grills. And you're like, okay, I'm, I'm going to spend a hundred bucks tonight. And it is what it is. Um, but that's, that's kind of what gets us excited about going on the road and seeing these places. And, you know, hopefully we get really good matchups out of this and, and, you know, get to go to some places where the fans are excited for us to come see their, their club play. And we see some players maybe that are off the radar too at times. Yeah, the you know East Ryan had a kid last night, left-handed hitter who I didn't know hit a, hit a couple home runs. So you always run into players you don't know, and I know when we we go through the schedule, kind of you know looking at our schedule for the week. There's certain parks and certain places that you know is a good place to watch a game. They have a good environment, and you know you lean you lean towards going to those those stadiums. No doubt, no doubt, and you know the other thing that this this voting will do. It's it's easy for us. You know, I'm I'm in the Charlotte area. You're up in the Hickory area. You know, there's a ton of high schools you and I can get to right in our little circles. You know, we, we've got some coverage. We've got three guys in the Raleigh area that are kind of covering the triangle for us, and they can hit those areas too. Um, but what I'm what I'm excited about is maybe as, as this gets rolling and, and fans don't just want us at their games, they're trying to get information on maybe they play somebody down the line and they'll send us over and maybe we'll get to go see somebody that really is off the radar a little bit for us um, and, and just a lot of times because of ease, it's very easy for me to go see Providence and Audrey Kell and, and Weddington and Marvin Ridge. And, you know, those are easy drives for me and I get to come home and tuck my kids into bed. But once a week going through the high school season, finding one of us and getting us on the road and going somewhere special, it shouldn't be that hard, that, that hard for us to find uh, coverage out there. And I'm excited to kind of get our people out and, and kind of see some other areas too, as we go through this. Now, inevitably, I think some of the places we go, and are voted on would be places we would choose as well. So however it works out, we're kind of putting our fate in the fans in the fans' hands. And, and as long as they don't screw us, we're good. We're going to end up in a dark alley somewhere and, you know, car breaks <laughs> down and we have to call in the fan vote. And whoever voted to put us there is going to come get us. But I, I don't think they would do that to us. <laughs> I hope not. Well, Matt, we're short and sweet today. Uh, we got a lot of things going on, a lot of things going on, on the website. So didn't want to keep you on here too long. Um, what, what's the plan for you the rest of the week? Have you looked at the schedule yet, or are you kind of just bogged down trying to get information out and onto the website um, and then trying to figure out where you're going as you go? I have looked. I know there's a there's a chance for rain Friday. Uh, going through a lot of scores, new Power 25 will come out uh, Monday, and then yep. uh, World Baseball Classic kicked off last night, so uh, be tuning into that as well. There you go. A lot of good baseball going on inside North Carolina, obviously outside North Carolina. He's Matt Payne. I'm Brandon Hall. This is the Prep Baseball Report of North Carolina podcast. Thanks for being here. Hit that subscribe button if you like it. Comment below if you need anything from us. And we'll see you here again next week. Thank you.